Welcome to the Kingsway Christian Fellowship Home Service. We hope that you'll be blessed as you listen to this audio sermon streamed live from Melbourne, Australia. Kingsway Christian Fellowship is a family Bible-based non-denominational church preaching Jesus Christ, based in Wonturner. Visit www.kingswaychristianfellowship.com. Now here's Pastor Gary Fitzgerald. Be going to Pastor Gary. Oh, I praise the Lord. Well, I have a uh, unstable connection for some reason, so I pray doesn't uh, play out while I preach. So um, we'll just take it as it comes, and uh, if there's any problems, Barbara will yell out and let me know. So praise the Lord. Let's pray from the onset and ask God's blessing. Father, we just come before you this morning. God, I do pray, Lord, there be no interruptions, Lord, as your word is brought forth. God, I pray, speak to us. Lord, in this this hour in which we live, Lord, we need to hear from heaven. So God, I pray your blessing upon your people and upon the word this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, praise the Lord, church. It's good to be amongst you all, even though it be on Zoom, but it's always a privilege to be able to come together and uh, be able to share the word as we, as I will this morning. Now, there's undoubtedly, we are living in interesting times. Uh, we're living in an hour, in a day, when things are changing so rapidly around us. And I'm not talking about the coronavirus. Uh, that is just a, a bit of a smokescreen, really, to what's all that's going on. And there's just so many things going on in the world and I don't want to address them all individually or talk about them specifically as such, but just to make the point, because what we're seeing is the world is being gripped by fear, confusion. Uh, There is a sense um, of uncertainty that I am detecting uh, in my relations with people and uh, because I'm still a um, a permitted worker and just... uh, crossing paths with different individuals. And so um, that is uh, clearly something that we're seeing, especially here in Australia, especially in Victoria. And so, um, but for the Christian, this, this is not the case. You know, the Bible tells us that the hope that we have is sure and steadfast. The Bible refers to the fact that we have strong consolation. And so we're not moved by these things in the same manner as the world when we understand that. But um, I, I want to address this morning a word that the Lord's put on my heart that we're looking at in 1 Peter chapter 3 in just a moment, but you can find that in your Bibles. But during the week, I, um, I found myself in a couple of conversations with two individuals. And so these are supervisors who I am um, and, and part of my work, who I cross paths with and do work for. And they know that I'm a pastor. They know that Barbara and I are Christians and, and so forth. And so uh, in the midst of just everyday life, they took the opportunity just to ask me some questions. And so they wanted to engage in some conversation. And so uh, they had some questions that they wanted to ask, knowing um, that, uh, you know, having known Barbara and I for a number of years, they know that there's something distinctly, distinctively different about us. And so they were curious and they made inquiry. They were asking questions. They were wanting to glean my thoughts and uh, on various issues. And, 
um, and so forth. And this obviously pr provides a great opportunity to um, not just talk about the, the social issues of our day, but also as a, as a means to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so that's what um, I take the opportunity to do. But one of the things that I'm seeing and one of the things I'm sure we're identifying and the world in which we live in, and it's becoming more hostile towards uh, Christians. There's no doubt about that. Um, and so one of the things that is clear is that it, the suffering is going to increase in the future. I mean, we look at the world around us, there are people that are already suffering. I mean, we look at Afghanistan and, and uh, just see, but across the world, there are many, many people. In Australia, we still don't understand the dynamics of persecution. Um, uh, we still have it too well. But nevertheless, there is going to be an increase of, of, of suffering that we will uh, endure in certain ways. And so we need to be aware of these things. And so because in light of all of that, we, uh, we, we're still uh, required by the Lord to stand up and to speak and to uh, be clear about um, um, to others and those around us of the, and give a defence for the hope that we have that is in our own lives, why we live the way we live, why we do what we do. Because our hope is in Christ this morning. Our hope is not in the world our hope is not in science or so-called science. Our hope is not in um, a vaccine. Our hope is not in the world and all that it has to offer. Our hope is in Christ and the inheritance and the future that we possess because we're not of this world. And so uh, when the time comes for us to be depart from this body, we're entering into the next phase of a glorious future. So for us, uh, we win and there's nothing in by which we lose. And so we have a hope, a living hope, the Bible says. And so I was thinking about a number of things, I, um, as you may be aware, but I can think of two individuals, and, um, and I don't want to mention names, but um, uh, these two individuals who, have, who are ill, and seriously ill, mind you, and, um, and they've made uh, conscious decisions to forego medical treatment. Now, my issue is not to discuss medicine as such i'm making a greater point here i pray that you can see what i'm saying but they have made a, a decision to entirely trust the lord uh with their lives and commit themselves and so whether they live they live unto the lord whether they die they die unto the lord and they've taken a resolve in their own hearts and in their approach where they are rejecting certain medications in light of um uh their circumstances and so um, I'm not saying that there's one way or the other way. I'm saying that these have made a decision. I commend them and respect their decisions in light of their circumstances. And if we were to ask him, why have you made those choices? Why do you do what you do? Why do you think the way that you think? They would be able to give a clear defence that would be based in the scriptures about why they are living that way and why they've made those choices. And so convictions for the Christian are of extreme importance this morning. Christians must have convictions when it comes to the gospel, when it comes to Christian living, when it comes to our testimony to the world around us. There are things in this life that we're going to have to have strong convictions on uh, because that what, that's what forms us and makes us who we are, what we believe. And so um, the question to us this morning is, well, why do you believe what you believe? Why do you do what you do? 
And so Paul the Apostle, he understood this in, in the context of the gospel of Jesus Christ and, uh, and the inheritance of Christ when he said in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, he says, For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom, whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. See, Paul had conviction. He had hope. He had a backbone when it came to the gospel, what he believed in, why he lived his life the way he did, why he made the choices that he made, and he had committed all things unto the Lord, and that governed how he conducted himself in the world in which he lived. And we too have to be of the same spirit. We too have to understand this. And so what I want to do, especially when it comes to the gospel, as it will reveal in our text, but there's a broader principle here as you will pick up. But nevertheless, we have to be ready, the Bible says, to give a defense. And so that is the title of my message this morning. Be ready to give a defense of why you believe what you believe, why you do what you do, uh, because we have to be able to do that. Otherwise, uh, um, um, uh, in the end, it, it, we, we don't, we're not, if we're not able to demonstrate that, then that's a discredit to ourselves, really. We have to be able to give. It might just be a simple explanation. I'm not saying it has to be deep and theological. I'm just talking about a conviction of why you do what you do, and you're able to, to state that, declare that, and reason that, as we will see in the Scriptures. And so, look, let's read our text in First Peter chapter 3. And we're going to look at verse 13. The Bible says, And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you, a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Amen. Now, the context of Peter's words. Peter is speaking in about suffering for uh, doing right uh, as a Christian. And so he, uh, this is the context, but we're going to focus in on verse 15 in just a moment, but we're looking at the whole text as a whole. But, uh, uh, but it's in the context of suffering and being able to, uh, to give a defence for why you believe what you believe, why you do what you do. So in verse 13, Peter makes a statement and he says, and who is he who will harm you? if you become followers of what is good. So here's the ideal. This is technically how it should be, that if we do right and if we live right, then we won't bring ourselves into any conflict or trouble. And so notice that it's a question in verse 13. It's not just a statement. And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? Well, ideally, nobody will, right? Well, that's not the reality of the world that we live in. For the most part, that happens, and yes, it happens, but that's not always the case. 
And so in an ideal world, that would be great. But the nature of the kingdom of God is something that's completely different and the opposite. Rather, we suffer for righteousness sake, meaning that uh, when we want to do what's right, when we want to stand up for what's right, when we want to declare what's right, when we want to live what's right, and according to our beliefs and our convictions, it brings us into conflict with the world. And in so many instances, people suffer persecution. And so that's the nature of the kingdom of God. That's the nature of suffering. And so the Bible's clear about that. That's why in verse 14, Peter will go on to say, but even if you should suffer, even if you do suffer, he says, for righteousness sake, you are blessed. Obviously, we understand that. And he makes the statement, and don't be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. You see, this we have to take confidence and strength from this. <clears throat> In actual fact, Pastor Werner, just prior to our meeting, as we were on Zoom, just waiting to start our prayer meeting, he wanted to share a, a word that the Lord had put upon his heart this morning. And it was from Joshua chapter one. And he said that where, where God speaks to Joshua and he says, be courageous and, um, and don't be fearful. Don't be afraid. And so, in other words, in the midst of the, the hour in which we live, we are being called by God to be be courageous. Don't be intimidated, not to be fearful. And this is what Peter is saying. If you're persecuted for doing right, uh, then um, so be it. But he says, do not be afraid of their threats and don't be troubled in your heart, so to speak. And so we must take courage from those words because the Lord does not want his child in the midst of any persecution, in the midst of any rejection from the world, in any reproach that we may bear. And we do. In actual fact, the Bible says we're blessed. Jesus says rejoice if that happens. And more than that, Peter says, don't be afraid. Don't be troubled. And really, that's, an, that's a word for the hour in which we live. Don't be afraid. Don't let your heart be troubled. Jesus said, I'm coming back. Let not your heart be troubled. The Christian's heart should not be in a state of anxiety. It should not be in a state of fear. But rather, uh, we are to be courageous and, and confident and have faith and be strong in the Lord. You see, we're living in an era and in a time when the world wants to silence the Christian's voice, especially when it comes not just to the gospel itself, but to social issues, because our beliefs and our values are, are drawn from this book, the Bible. And so when we, are, when we are speaking, we're speaking not on our own authority. We're not sharing an opinion. We're declaring the word of God, and the world does not like that. So when it comes to many issues that are going on in the world today, whether it's transgenderism, um, uh, you know, and, and what is simply a male and female issue, and if we start bringing the Bible into it and, and declaring what is not just biblical but scientific and, and biological, you know, we're, uh, we're wanting to be silenced and, uh, and told that, um, you know, we don't love or, you know, the whole story that goes on with it. But these are some of the social issues. Then you have uh, one of the major issues today is critical race theory that is, uh, is manifesting in, our, uh, in the world around us in the West. And at the root of that, as I pondered this and, and, and just thought about it, at the root of this, you know, in terms of 
you know, our whole government, our whole system is inherently racist and all of these things that is uh, being purported and just the nonsense that we're go is going on around us. What I, what I see at the heart of this is an attack. You know what it is attack on? It's an attack on God. It's an attack on his word. It's an attack on Judeo-Christian beliefs that have set up, for the most part, some of, 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 our, of our principles and structures of society. You see, because we base things upon the word of God. And so that's why they say that the, uh, they've, uh, I've heard recently people come out and they're saying, well, the problem is, is, uh, um, uh, is, is the white man and it's the, the principles of Judeo-Christianity that have been established and embedded and so forth. These are the problems that have led to racism. And the list goes on and on and on. But again, there's always an attack on God's word. And so, and even if I may say, the issue of vaccination in, a, in the current world in which we're living in has become a, a hot topic, and uh, no doubt among Christians as well. And so I'm not here to share my thoughts or, or, or to address those issues specifically, but to make the point, these are very divisive issues. These are issues that regard much thought, much contemplation. And again, why do we do what we do? Why do we believe what we believe? And so for the Christian to speak of and defend biblical principles and values is going to bring potential problems for the Christian. And so this is, uh, you know, I'm talking about the threat to lose our jobs, the threat to uh, not be able to function in various aspects of, of work. If you don't do this, then you, you know, don't have that. You can't do this if you don't do that. And we're living in a society now that is marginalising. And, uh, and if we don't toe the line, then all of a sudden we, uh, we can't participate. I had one brother who's speaking to me about the vaccination and he said, well, are you going to get the vaccination? Um, it wasn't a brother. It was uh, this uh, supervisor that I was speaking about. He asked me, are you going to get the vaccination? And I, 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 uh, I thought about it and I had a little bit of a chat with him. And then he said to me, um, but don't you realise if you, if you don't get a vaccination, you can't work? I said, well, that's what the Bible's trying to warn us of about the mark of the beast. If you don't have the mark, you can't buy or sell. That's the principle. That's the spirit that's at work. And so we would be ignorant and foolish if we don't understand what's going on around us when we consider these things. And so when I said that, again, the lights go on for some people uh, because it creates an opportunity to preach the gospel and to demonstrate uh, what, what's going on. But this brings us to the point of the message, which is going to be verse 15 this morning, because Peter says, don't be afraid. Don't be troubled. There's a lot of things that's going on in the world. There's a lot of things that's happening. There's a lot of things that are being said. And we've, uh, and as much as we're mindful of these things, we are not to be moved, the scripture says. But look at verse 15. I love the word here, but. So this is in contrast. In contrast to the reality of the circumstances in the world around us, whether we're suffering for righteousness sake, whether uh, as Christians we're suffering, whatever the situation is, Listen to what Peter says. He says, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. And so this is really, really important this morning because this is what the Bible is saying. Sanct this is the first thing. You can break up this verse into a couple of points. And the first point that I want to make Peter says, but 
in contrast to what's going on around you, this is what we need to do. This is where we, we, we must be. He says, sanctify the Lord in your hearts. You see, this is so important this morning. We must remain close to the Lord. We must be ever mindful of the Lord. We must sanctify the Lord God in our hearts. So what does that mean? What is Peter saying to us? Because how do you say that word sanctify? It means a few things which we'll look at, but it means to make holy. Can we make God more holy than he is? Absolutely not. That's not the thought that Peter has when he says sanctify the Lord God or make holy the Lord God in your hearts. And so what Peter is getting at is this fact. He says our estimate of God must be high. He must be highly esteemed in our hearts. And so that is in relation to our our will, our affections, our feelings towards him. Because, you know, the truth is, is that in the midst of suffering, uh, we can sometimes we are being tested and tried in so many ways. We must be careful to guard our hearts with all diligence. And as a result of that, have no ill feelings towards God. You see, the, the problem we're warned in Scripture not to complain, not to murmur. We're not to have feelings of dissatisfaction. Why is this happening? Why is this happening to me? And so when these things begin to touch us in certain ways and we begin to have a sense of suffering, then what's important is to sanctify the Lord God in your heart. Resolve. So you know what? In my heart, I'm going to esteem God. You know, in the Greek, this word holy, to sanctify, it has the ceremonial aspect to it, which means to set apart. Okay, so that's, that's, that's uh, the first point. But there's another aspect to the word which relates to not the ceremonial aspect, but to the mental aspect. And it means to venerate or to hallow to regard, to honour, to respect greatly. And so what Peter is saying is we all need to sanctify the Lord God in your own heart. I can't sanctify the Lord for you in your heart and no one can do it for me. This is an individual aspect. This is an individual thing. And so the the thought, as one commentator said, which I like, is he said, you must set apart Christ as Lord. He must be the master. He must be highly esteemed. He must be at the centre of everything in our hearts and in our lives. Because if he's not, if we don't sanctify the Lord God in our hearts, then we'll run into problems and into troubles. That's the truth. And so uh, the first point that Peter makes is, is, is sanctified. This is our posture. This is our position. And then he says this. Having done that, he says these words, look at verse 15, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. Amen to everyone. So here he is. This is now relating to our testimony. This is now relating to us being able to preach the gospel, to share the gospel, to demonstrate the gospel, to show people why we believe what we believe, why we do what we do. This is such an important statement. And again, I want to unpack it a little bit and make some sense of it because there's a few things in here that we do well to understand. So once we've sanctified the Lord, we must be ready. This is what he says, always be ready. 
to give a defence. You see, <coughs> the world around us this morning is watching us. There's people around us that are observing our lives. That's just the reality of how it works. And so what happens is sometimes they will observe, sometimes they will grow curious, and in so much so, as I experienced this week, they will even be prompted in their hearts to ask questions. And they'll begin to just uh, uh, inquire of you. What are your thoughts? Why do you do that? And so because they're curious, they're, not, they're sincerely curious, I must add. And so it's not that there's an issue or there could be, but, you know, generally speaking, it's not. They're, they're asking a question because they're observing something about you. And so... So this is not a bad thing. So we must be ready to give a defence to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you and people are going to ask. And so we need to be ready to give a defence. And so let me ask you this morning, can you give a thorough explanation for the hope that you have? Are you able to give a thorough explanation? Because this word defence is very interesting in the Greek. It's the word apology. Apolo, apolo, <laughs> anyways, it slipped my tongue. Apologia. Or is there, in the English, it's actually where we get the word apology, but not that it means an apology. Uh, unfortunately, in the modern use of the word, when we think in a, uh, you know, apologetics, for example, is the Christian term. But when we think of apologetics uh, or the word apology, some people tend to think of it as um, uh, saying sorry or making excuses and make and giving some form of an apology. That's the modern usage of the word, but the word is actually much deeper than that. And in and in its uh, 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 true and biblical meaning, it means not uh, to give an excuse for an act, but rather a defence of the act and belief. So, in other words, we're defending. We're giving a defence. We're giving a an explanation behind why we believe what we believe. Why we do what we do. The word in the Greek uh, means this. It means to answer for self. It means to clear, clearing of self. In other words, we're able to justify the position and the stand that we're making and why we do what we do so that we can give them an, a, a, a logical understanding. The word apologetics also means a reasoned statement. So in other words, we need to be able to explain in a reasonable, rational manner what we believe and why. And so we need to be able to demonstrate what this book says, what the gospel is, why we believe what we believe, why we hold the values that we hold, why we do what we do. And so when people ask us for a reason, we have the Bible's telling us to be ready to give a defense to those that ask. And notice that it says that, uh, that they are, they're asking, it's, Peter says, um, to always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. What's your reason? That, again, that word reason is that comes from the Greek word logos. Again, it, again, it, it, the idea is a systematic thought, a set discourse. You're able to reason with them and show them why you do what you do and why you believe what you believe. 
And so this is important. I must emphasize this this morning because we're living in a day and in an hour where there's the, the contrast between the Christian and the world is growing more and more and more. And so rather than us just um, being uh, uh, always uh, we don't want to be contentious, but we want to be able to demonstrate our position and why we think the way we think. And one of the things that I have learned is that, as I said before, people genuinely and sincerely want to understand why you think and do what you do. It's not about having religious arguments. It's not about, um, um, uh, you know, trying to win, uh, be contentious in a, in a discussion. That's not what I'm talking about. That's not what Peter is talking about. Notice Peter says, he, is, he says uh, to everyone that asks you for a reason. You see, it's uh, it's not just a matter of us, uh, um, you know, just doing what we want to do and saying what we want to say. That's not the wisest thing to do. But rather, we're being told, according to the scriptures, according to those that ask you. And so when they ask, that means that they have an ear to hear. It means that they want to understand where you're coming from, why you think the way that you think. So this brings us to the next. Peter is clear. He says with meekness in verse 15, with meekness and fear. That's not uh, that fear is a fear of God, that we're very, very careful and mindful of what we're doing and how we're going about things, because we're told here that we must conduct ourselves with meekness and fear. So the Christian's not going to achieve anything if he's proud, lofty, and arrogant. Uh, if you're wanting just to win an argument, then that's not going to really achieve much. But we're told here that those that will ask us where to respond in a manner that is with meekness and fear. In other words, our conduct must be characterized by humility. And so this is important because despite suffering, despite the reproach, we have to keep our heart right and conduct and our conduct are right. That's what the scripture is telling us here. This is what Peter's trying to say. Even though you will suffer for righteousness sake, be very, very careful. Be ready. Sanctify the Lord in your heart and give a reason, a defense for everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that you have with meekness and with fear. And so this is important. The way we conduct ourselves, Jesus says we must be uh, uh, must be humble in our approach. And so this is a critical aspect of our conduct, as, as Peter is pointing out in the text. Now, why? Again, this is revealed in verse 16. You must be, our conduct has to be right. Why? Look at verse 16. Having a good conscience. So this is important for the Christian. We have to be able to have a clear conscience without a sense of condemnation or guilt about our actions. And so having a good conscience before men is important. Having a good conscience before God is important. And, and uh, fundamentally, having a good conscience is, is good for us individually, and it's healthy for the believer to have that. Why? Because if we have a conscience that does not convict us of wrongdoing, then it gives us, con it gives us a confidence this morning. There's nothing worse for a Christian who's suffering the pains of a guilty conscience. Can you understand what I'm saying this morning? 
There's nothing worse than us trying to bear testimony to us trying to teach the truth and declare the truth and give a reason when our conduct and our, is not right, when our, when our lives aren't in order, when we are not living a great testimony, and how in good conscience can we share these things? And so good conscience is imperative in our witness for the Lord and demonstrating um, um, uh, to others around us the truth that we believe. And so having a good conscience, one, gives us peace. Two, it gives us confidence towards God, as the scripture says. And three, uh, it gives us confidence towards men when we speak with them and address them. So he says again, having a good conscience, in verse 16, that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. Now think about that. Because Peter explains why it is important that we as Christians, not just what we speak, but the way in which we conduct ourselves is so important. Because you've heard the word actions speak louder than words. Now, I'm not saying that we don't speak because we're told to speak. The scripture is quite clear about that. We're not uh, uh, saying, look, I'm not going to preach the gospel. I'm just going to let my life speak. And there's a principle in that, but that's not the only principle and truth. But if our words um, are not backed up by our actions, then our testimony is weakened and our words are worthless. And so if we're going to have potency and power in our words, then as Christians this morning, our lives must be conducted in a manner that backs up and demonstrates to those around us that we are the real deal because the world will sniff out hypocrisy. The world will sniff out inconsistencies. And when people are looking at us and asking us questions, they're going to be looking for gaps. They're going to be looking for things, not so much in a critical manner. There are those that are like that, I understand, and um, I'm not uh, talking about that. But I'm talking about the sincere. Those that are asking you, they're looking for reality. They're looking for truth. And if they see inconsistencies, then it weakens your, the power of our testimony. And so it is important this morning that we are mindful of these things. So Peter says, have a good conscience so that when they do defile you or defame you as evildoers and they revile your good conduct, isn't it, ama isn't it amazing in this instance that Peter's talking about, you know, uh, isn't it when, when the world gets to the point where they call evil good and good evil and then they start saying that the Christian is the bigot, the Christian is the evil one. The Christian is the one that's, uh, you know, our, our, what we believe, the way we conduct ourselves, it's wrong. You see, even though that voice may be in the world, there are those that are still watching us. There are those that are still paying attention and will see the injustices of those things that are, are, are happening around us. And so notice what Peter says. He says, have a good conscience. And even though they defile or revile your good conduct in Christ, he says that they, the hope is that they may be ashamed. You see, we are not to be ashamed. The hope is, is that as we, as we conduct ourselves as Christians, as we speak in accordance with the truth, and as they revile us for our good conduct, the, the hope is, is that they themselves would be ashamed. Because don't forget, they have a conscience too. 
And so just though, uh, and you might, and albeit they maybe have seared their conscience, albeit they may have, um, may not have a sensitive conscience for whatever reasons, they may be hardened, I understand that. But you see, even the hardest of hearts, God can still work in and he can still penetrate and break through. I was thinking about this and think about the thief that was on the cross. Here's a man that he's on a cross He's an evildoer. He's done wrong. And the Bible says that there's two thieves and they're both mocking Christ at the beginning of the crucifixion. But this man, he's observing Christ. One of them is observing Christ and he's watching him. And all of a sudden it gets to a point where in his heart he can bear it no longer. And his conscience is awakened. His conscience kicks in and the Holy Spirit convicts him. And then all of a sudden he blurts out and he comes to Jesus's defense. And he says, uh, he says, you are a righteous man. He's done nothing wrong. He says to the other thief, we deserve what we've to be here to be crucified. But this man, he's done nothing wrong. And so even in death, we know that Christ was glorified. And here it is. Christ is uh, uh, winning this man, and we know he says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. Can you see how it works? This is what Peter's talking about. He says that the, when they observe, though they revile your good conduct, they will come to a point, that's our prayer, that they will be ashamed in themselves uh, for what they've done, for how they've acted, for what they have said against you. And so this is how the kingdom of God works. See, Jesus was all about winning people to himself. Even before he took his last breath and gave up his spirit, he, uh, he plucked one more out of, the, out of the pit of hell, uh, being that thief on the cross. And so even ourselves, it's about winning people to Jesus. This is why we do what we do. We want to be a testimony. We want to win souls. And the Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter 11, verse number 30, it says the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life and he who wins souls is wise. Now listen to those words. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of, a tree of life. Do you know the fruit of the righteous? You know who eats the fruit? The sinner. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life because people become, tend to observe our lives and see our testimony, Christ in us, and they begin to feed off that. They begin to see something distinctively different, something that's real and a reality. And so the, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. God, give us wisdom. We need wisdom to be able to know what to say, how to say it, when to say it. And especially when we're asked a question for the hope that is in us, let us be able to give a defense, be ready and give a rational, reasonable, logical explanation of the gospel of Christ and, and your actions and your beliefs. Now, we want to win souls. That's as simple as that. Look at verse 17. Uh, Peter says, for it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. That's just self-explanatory. There's no, there's no benefit in suffering for doing wrong. But there's great benefit in the will of God to suffer for doing good. 
And so this is how we must be thinking. This is uh, just like our master. You see, Jesus is the one who's, who, who demonstrates and what it means to suffer for righteousness sake. Did not Jesus himself set the example for us to follow? You know, Jesus himself spoke these words, a servant is not greater than his master. And so when we think of these things, we talk about suffering, nothing can compare to what our Lord has endured. Listen to Jesus's words in John's gospel, chapter 15, verse 18. If then the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, because I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And so this is our mindset. This is our understanding. Jesus is clear. That's why Peter says it's better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good. It might not appear to have any benefit and then, and so forth. But I tell you, that when you look at church history, the blood of the martyrs has been the seed for the, for the gospel to go forth. And even when you read the book of Acts, when it came under immense persecution and, uh, and spread and isolated the believers as they were scattered, it gave opportunity for the gospel to be preached and spread like rapid fire. Because wherever the world tries to quench and tries to stop the spread of the gospel, that's when God does his work. And he, um, and so it's out of um, us suffering for, for his name's sake and suffering for doing good that we uh, are, are bearing testimony and glorifying God in this manner. Let me read to you again. Are you, uh, let me paint a picture for you this morning. I pray that you have understood the message and that you will sanctify the Lord God in your heart and be ready to give a defence. Let me read to you again, just quickly, Paul's words in 2 Timothy 1.12 that I read at the beginning. For this reason, I also suffer these things. You know, I think of Paul, Saul, when he was first converted, when he met the Lord on the road to Damascus and Ananias was sent to lay hands and pray for him. And uh, Ananias said, don't you know who this is, man is? He's, he's, he's causing great trouble. And Jesus says, he's a chosen vessel of mine. I'll show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Now, that's not a, um, uh, you know, a boastful statement. It's just a statement of fact. And Paul says, for this reason, I also suffer these things. He understood the whole context of suffering, as did Peter and others. And he says, nevertheless, I'm not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed. I'm persuaded that he's able to keep what I've committed to him. And so my question to us this morning, uh, do you know whom you have believed in? Are you persuaded and convinced in your heart? Because that is so critical. If we're going to survive, what lies ahead? If those convictions are going to hold us or we're, not, or we're going to compromise and sell out. This is so important. And I want to read First Peter again. Go to chapter 4, verse 16. Peter says these words, Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, 
Let him not be ashamed. That's what Paul said. I'm not ashamed. Let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. Glorify God in this matter. Thank God that because now we're, we're getting the opportunity to shine. It's not about us. It's about God's glory. It's about God's kingdom. And if I have to suffer shame for his name, then so be it. If I have to uh, uh, be, uh, count the cost, then so be it. Go to verse 19 as well. Let me read it to you. Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. And so we're called this morning to continue to do good. Get, have a good conscience. Live a good life, a godly life. Conduct ourselves. Order our conduct aright. The Bible says in Psalms 50, I think it is, he who orders his conduct aright, the Lord will show him his salvation. And we have to order our conduct aright. doesn't matter what it is that's going on before us because this is the perfect opportunity to let our light shine. And I want to close with one last scripture this morning, which is in Colossians chapter 4, verse 5. Bible says these words, walk in wisdom towards those who are outside, redeeming the time, redeem the time because the days are short. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. God, give us wisdom this morning. God, let us bear testimony to the truth. Lord, let us conduct ourselves in a godly manner. Lord, let us be ready, always be ready to give a defence for the uh, uh, to those that would ask a reason for the hope that's in us. And above all this morning, sanctify the Lord God in your heart. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you this morning for the word. Let us, Lord, take heed. Let us, Lord, meditate. Let us, Lord, reflect upon it in such a way, God, that we are deliberate, Lord, in the manner in which we live and conduct ourselves. And, God, I do pray for opportunity to share the gospel, to preach the gospel, to give a defence for the hope that is in us. And, God, help us to hold fast to these convictions, not to be ashamed, but know that we are, uh, 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 we are not of this world and that a servant is not greater than their master. And so, Lord, as we proceed... Bless your people. Use us. Above all things, glorify your name. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you this morning.